we must acknowledge that today, even though when we're driving around our neighborhoods, driving around the city, there are a lot of people wearing costumes and houses are decorated for Halloween, that today is Reformation Sunday. Uh, on October 31st, 505 years ago in the small town of Wittenberg in Germany, a man by the name of Martin Luther nailed what we call the Christian Protestant Manifesto at the doors of his own church, speaking of the abuses that believers, Christians, were suffering from the Catholic Church and recovering the essential tenets and doctrines of Christianity. That act of courage gave birth to the Protestant Christian movement that we get to be a part of today. And so we remember Martin Luther today, and we're thankful to God for his life and the life of many other reformers, some of those who died even before getting their ideas out, like John Huss and the Czech Republic and many others. We're grateful for these leaders. We're grateful for these people because uh, without them, we would not be experiencing the gospel as we are today. So we're grateful to them and we remember them today as well. One of the main tenets of the Reformation was that all Christians, all followers of Jesus, all of those who have called upon Jesus as their Lord, who have entrusted their life to Christ, they have been made priests with Christ. Uh, it was a revolutionary thought when Luther recovered this doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, because up to that point, those who were seen as the ministers of the word and of the gospel were the professional class. Those who had received the training, those that had been conferred authority upon the state and the church. And what Luther brought of such value in his days was to say to all Christians, you are also a priest. He said, all Christians whatsoever really and truly belong to the religious class and each and all of us are priests. And since he spoke these words, it has been echoed through the years and it has come to us today as well. It is the basis, this idea, it is the basis for the series that we launched last month, the beginning of last month, this series entitled Activated, which today is the final sermon of the series, it's the series finale. And the idea for the Activated series was to awaken or reawaken some of us who are followers of Jesus, but who have not lived up to this idea that you or uh, uh, your family, your friends, you have been made priests with Jesus as well. And therefore, instead of being active, you have been inactive. Instead of being activated, you have been living deactivated. And so uh, as we conclude this series today, I, I guess that my hope is that you have come to a point, as you've listened to all these sermons that you have, number one, acknowledged that you have been uniquely gifted by God to do the work that he has called you to do that only you can do. There is a particular and unique work that God has called you to do that I can't do for you, that the person that's sitting next to you can't do for you, that the person across the room cannot do for you. And it is so necessary for all of us that you would put that spiritual gift, that you would put 
that talent to work because you have been uniquely gifted by God. I hope that by this time in the series, as we conclude the series, that you have understood this. But not only that, uh, I hope also that you have resolved. You, you have resolved to put that gift to work, not just understood, but you have said, I want to cultivate that gift or I want to learn more about that gift. I am taking baby steps, but therefore I want to make strides and I want to make progress in uh, the journey that God has called me to as I put my gifts to use for the sake of the whole church, that you have resolved to move from just being a consumer that comes on Sundays to consume the content and sermons and the services and the programs of the church. And you have said, I'm going to move from being a consumer to a provider Christian. I want to provide as I have been provided for by the ones that have ministered to me with the gifts that the Spirit has given them. It is our goal that every single one of us here would move from a consumer to a provider, from being deactivated to being activated. That is my hope. And so today, as we conclude this series, I, I want us to think about what an activated Christian life looks like. I want to talk to you about a few marks of the activated Christian life. But before that, we need to go to the text. We need to go to the Word of God. And so I'm going to ask you once again to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 4 through 7 and then 12 through 13. We have exegeted the heavens out of this text. I have gotten four sermons out of this text so far. I could get a few more, but we're going to go into details through these verses, verses 4 through 7 and 12 through 13. So if you would bear with me, this is what the Word of God says. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same lore. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one, it is given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. He goes on through the list, and then we find ourselves in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So what does an activated life look like? And I, and I think it's important that we talk about this because as you go about um, living out this resolution that you have made that you are going to cultivate your gift and you're going to put your gift to use, there are seasons where things get hard. There are seasons where things get difficult, where there are obstacles and oppositions. And unless you are reminded of these four things that we're going to talk about here today, you will not keep going. You will not pick up and get back under your saddle. So what are the four things? The four things that you must remember, that you must never forget is, number one, that we are one. Number two, that we are stewards. Number three, that we have been empowered. And then number four, that we live by purpose, not convenience. Let's look at all these four and break them down. First, we are one. 
What that means is that we are one, therefore we are not alone. It's right there in verse 4. Let's go back to verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. I love the balance that Paul gives us to show us that we have both been uniquely gifted, but also for the sake of the body. And I think this balance is important because we live in a very individualistic culture that all that matters is the individual. But there are cultures, maybe you have come from a traditional culture where the value of the individual is attached to the community. So your only value is that which your community confers to you or, or how useful you are to your community. And even though the Bible is written in a traditional period and time where that was mostly the case, where the value of the individual was that which he provided for the community, the Bible also says that God has given us unique gifts, each of us individually. He has wired us in a for a specific way, in a specific, for a specific purpose. But yet, at the same time, we were wired that way for each other's sake. We were wired that way to serve the whole, not to serve ourselves, because we are the same body. In verses uh, 12 and 13, the, the last verses that we read, he gives us the picture of what that looks like. What, what this is, is a body, the body of Christ, which Christ is the head. And we are members of this body. And as any healthy body, every member, every organ needs to function well in order for the whole body to thrive. So do we need to function well. So do we need to own that which has been deposited in us and what has been entrusted to us so that all of us would flourish. We share, as he says here in verse for the same spirit. We're part of the same body and we share the same spirit, the spirit of Jesus. It describes our union to Christ and therefore our union to one another. What connects us in a greater way than what connects us to, say, our neighbors? Uh, we're, we're in the complex that we live in, in the neighborhood that we live in, what connects us in a greater way than what connects us to our coworkers is the fact that in Christ we share the same spirit, that we are of the same body. Because we have been recreated, we are a people that have been recreated by a God who is triune, who is three but is also one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you noticed this as we were reading the first three verses or the first four verses because in, in verse four, he talks about us having the same spirit. In verse five, us having the same Lord. He's talking about Jesus here. And then in verse six, us having the same God who empowers them all and everyone, God the Father. By being recreated by this triune God, now we find our purpose. We exist in the context of the whole. We are unique as each person of the Trinity is unique in its uh, responsibilities and in its tasks, but we all share the same value and we all need each other. We are one. And when we understand this doctrine in depth, it gives us some practical implications for the present as we go about deploying our gifts. The number one thing that we learn is that we don't get to do this alone, that we get to do this together. And that should serve as a comfort for every believer because you're not cast out in the middle of nowhere and 
asked to exercise a gift in a silo, you are called to exercise your gift in the conjunction of those who are part of the same body that you have been made part of. We don't get to do it alone. It is a great encouragement when you are to do something in life and you're not doing it alone. Some of you can't do anything alone. Some of you can't even go to the bathroom alone, right? Hey, friend, let's go with me. I, can't, you, I see that all the time. Sometimes my wife and her friends and, and et cetera, and my daughters, they, they, they do that because it's a comfort. Sometimes doing things alone, is, it, it sucks. It just sucks. And uh, when it comes to deploying your gift, that is there, this encouragement for us that you don't get to do it alone. When you're starting a business, you have people that believe in you, that believe in the vision, that are sacrificing with you. It is of great comfort. It brings encouragement. It builds courage in you. I am so blessed and so glad that Beth and I didn't have to start Crossbridge Church 15 years ago alone, that we had about 22 friends around us that said, hey, we believe in this vision and we're going to sacrifice for this vision. They were uniquely wired. They did not have the same gifts that we had. They brought unique elements into the mix. And there were moments when we were starting the church, that was very hard and it was very difficult, especially in the first year. And it was so encouraging to see these people put their gifts to use and close the gaps and meet needs and come to us and encourage us and to say, hey, we're behind this. We were not alone and you will not be alone as you deploy your gifts. You have all of us with you. We have your back. This also teaches us and reminds us that because of that, uh, there's a great need to depend on one another. These gifts are interdependent as the members of a body or the organs of a body are interdependent. When the liver suffers, the whole body suffers. When the head suffers, the whole body suffers. Even when a pinky suffers, the whole body suffers as well. Sometimes I can't train when my pinky is hurting, all right? I can't. It's my pinky. What's the, the, what's my pinky? It's just hurting. I can't. I can't grab anything. I can't train. I need to rest. I need to recover, right? When one part of the body suffers, all suffers because the body is interdependent. So the World Cup is around the corner. Who's excited about that? I'm excited about the World Cup. Ah, some of you are not. Well, at the Keep Skin Campus, we have a lot more South Americans, so people are like, yes! You know? Um, but I, I'm excited about the, the World Cup. I, I think that uh, Brazil has a very good chance of winning this year. But if they don't win, the country that I want to win is Argentina. We got any Argentinas in the room here today? No, no Argentinians? We're a holy church. We're a holy church. <laughs> this is a joke. There's this thing about Brazilians and Argentinians. I don't know if you knew this. You know, maybe American Canadians. I don't know. There's tension there. Um, we're finding always for the, the first spot. But here, here's why I would I like Argentina to win is because I would like Messi, who I believe is the best soccer player in the last 50 years, to win a World Cup. He never won a World Cup. He's won all the titles. He, he, he's won uh, the golden ball seven times. No one has won the golden ball seven times. It's the ultimate prize that's given to the best player in the world each year. The closest to him has been Cristiano Ronaldo, the Portuguese guys who won five. He's won seven, but he's never won a World Cup. And I have a theory of why he has never won a World Cup. And some of you don't like soccer, so you're tuning out. That's totally okay. I don't care. But, but here, here, here's my theory. You can actually transpose it to your own sport of choice, the worst sport in the world, which I think is baseball. You can take that and put it to baseball, all right? And it'll still work. It'll still work. All right. It's the boringest sport. Come on. So, 
I'm not going to go on this rabbit trail. I can, I can keep going. I can keep going. And people are going to start standing up and leaving. So let's stop right here. Let, let's, let's, stay, let's stay right here. Let's park right here. But here's my theory. He, he's an amazing player, and he's gotten every single title besides the World Cup because he's never had a team up to par with his skills. Okay? So he's never had somebody in the midfield that would serve, or serve him the way he's served in, uh, in the clubs that he has played. He doesn't have good wings that have gotten the ball to him when he needed the most. He's always had to carry the team in his back. They probably got a good team this year. I hope that if Brazil doesn't win again, that they win. But that's my theory. He's very, very good. But the best striker in the world cannot do what he's supposed to do if he does not have teammates to support him, to defend, to get the ball to him, to protect the wings. He cannot. He cannot. And, I, and again, that works for every single sport. It doesn't matter how gifted you have been by the Spirit of God. You will not be able to put your gifts to use at its full potential unless you have others ministering to you with a different set of gifts. How many times have you who have the gift of generosity had that gift activated because a vision was given to you by somebody that has the gift of apostleship or because somebody opened a passage in Scripture and explained it to you and preached that passage to you and encouraged you and that activated your gift of generosity. How many times have I come in here to feed you with the gift that I have received, the gift of teaching, the gift of preaching? And I've come into this place, into this space, discouraged, and God has used somebody with the gift of encouragement, to encourage me and to lift me up? How many times have I needed the gift of mercy in a meeting where I have not spoken how I should have and I was extended the gift of mercy and we could keep going and moving forward? You need each other. I need you. You need me. We all need one another. Our gifts are interdependent. We are one. We are not alone. But also, we are stewards, not owners. Go to verse 5. We're going verse by verse today. In verse 5, he says, And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. Uh, the word here, Lord, as I said before, refers to Jesus. It is a translation of the Hebrew word, Yahweh, that's used for God especially when God is postured as the one who is in covenant with his people. It is interesting that the same word that's used for the covenantal God in the Old Testament is ascribed to Jesus. Just for you to understand the power and the lordship that Jesus has over everything, specifically over the church. And all of those who are part of the body of Christ, who have Christ as their head, they're called to serve Christ and serve alongside Christ. We have not been given a mission independently from the mission of Jesus. The mission that we have received is the mission of Jesus. The gifts that we have received have been deposited in us by Jesus to do the work of Jesus. A passage that clarifies us this idea is found in Ephesians 4, which is the parallel passage to this teaching on the gifts where the Apostle Paul to another church says this about Jesus. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore it says, here's now a quote from the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Actually, it's Psalm 68. It's not Isaiah. But, but the idea here is, is this, is that the gifts that we have are gifts that are Christ's, that Christ received in his victory over the cross and the empty grave and that which we have received and everything else, it's a byproduct of God's grace over our lives. It has been entrusted to us so that we could do his work. You know, oftentimes I think about uh, inactive Christians, why some of us go through seasons in our life where we're inactive and deactivated and demotivated to do the work that Christ has called us to do. And it comes from a uh, forgetfulness of this truth. We think that if we are to give of our time, because in order for you to deploy your gifts, you have to give time. You have to give the talents. You have to give your treasures as well, right? And whenever there's an opportunity for us to give time, talent, and treasure, we always have that mentality of thinking, oh man, I don't have enough time. I can't give. Oh, I don't have enough money. I just wish I had more. You know, if I was like that member of the church that was bawling, I mean, I, I would have an opportunity to do that. If I was like that single mom, Poor, poor person doesn't understand how much a single mom works, right? If, if, I, if, I, if I had more time, if I had more financial resources, if I was more talented, I would give more. And, and, and we are therefore afraid sometimes in a specific season, I understand, of giving and running out of blank. Because we function from uh, a scarcity mentality, not a mentality of abundance. Why? Because we forget that everything that we have, every resource that has been deposited in us through the Spirit because of Jesus was a byproduct of God's grace. And the same God that gave us to begin with is the God that will supply if it begins to run out. You see what I'm saying? It, what, if, what if you and I operated under this understanding that if, if I give, I don't, I don't know if I have enough time to give, to deploy these. I, I have the gift, but I don't have the time. I hear this a lot. I, I hear this a lot. What if you said, I'm going to give the time and trust that the God who gave the gift will supply more time? You see what I'm saying? Or uh, I am called to exercise this gift of generosity, but... And I, I want to give, but I don't know if I have enough to give. And, and I'm gonna, just going to trust that if I give the same God that gave me that gift and these resources, he will supply more and more and enable me to exercise his gift in a deeper and more profound way and extend every single dollar and bring more so that I can do more. You see what I'm saying? We have a scarcity mentality. We don't have an, a mentality of abundance. It's all, guys from grace, and it's all for grace. Remember this truth too. God did not give us anything so that we can accumulate things. That's not the purpose by which he has given us gifts and time and talent. It's not to accumulate. It's not to give us a false sense of security. We think that accumulation gives us a sense of security, that I have something to fall back on. Have you forgotten the world in which we live in? Anything can happen at any time. You're protecting your time, and then you get a disease or your life is gone. And what, 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 what then? 
We live in a volatile world, and any idea of accumulation is just a mere illusion. Everything that God has given me is not for me to accumulate. It's to enjoy. I'm to enjoy all things, but I am to use that as that which he has given me to serve the needs of all. It is not mine to begin with. I'm just a steward of the time. I'm just a steward of the financial resources. I am just a steward of all the assets and the relationship and the influence that he has given me. It is his. He has given to me. He has given all gifts to men. And James we are reminded that every good gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. So I want you to understand and remember this, that when you, when you withhold that which God has entrusted to you for the sake of others, you are also keeping yourself from experiencing that which you can only experience through service, which is joy. That's why Jesus said, what? That it is better to give than to receive. Listen, I want you to understand this. If you want momentary happiness, serve yourself. If you want lasting fulfillment, serve someone else. Okay, don't forget this. If you want momentary happiness, serve yourself. If you want lasting fulfillment, serve someone else. Be a good steward of the resources that he has given you. We are stewards, not owners. Thirdly, we have been empowered, not barred. Go on to the next verse, verse 6. He says, and there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now, we should have been barred from joining Christ in his work, from doing the work of Jesus, which, by the way, is a privilege. Sometimes we confuse things. We think it's a, it, it's, it's a burden. Oh, oh, my gosh, I have to do things for God. Oh, I guess I guess I have to carve out a little bit of time. Otherwise, my prayers are not going to be answered, right? We, 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 we have this wrongful idea that, that it is a duty. It's a burden. Instead of seeing this as a great privilege that he invites us to join him in that which he is doing in the church and in the world. But we should have been barred because who of us is qualified Who of us has the character? Who of us has clean hands and a pure heart? Like the psalmist talks about. We should have been barred, but yet we are invited. We are invited to join him because of the grace that's been lavished on us. Because God will only choose to work with imperfect people. Because it's only through imperfect people that his glory can shine. Because it's not about the qualifications of those who do the work, but the grace and the mercy and the power that is made available to them through Jesus Christ. God works through imperfect people because imperfect people is all there is. You know, some of you have a hard time putting yourself forward because there's things that you're still struggling with. Some of you have a hard time Uh, deploying your gifts because you hear of what other people say to you about your own limitations. And I want you to understand that it's through your weakness that God's power and God's grace will come with evidence. So he uses us in the context of our brokenness to do his work. He empowers us to do his work. I love this word empowerment. Do you understand what the meaning of empowerment is? 
let's say you, 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 know, you work in a, in a company or, or you have a business and, and you have tried to instill this value of empowerment to everyone that works under you or with you. What do you do? What does that mean to empower people? I, you know, I, I came to understand this later on in life. and I've made mistakes in, in the past and I still make mistakes. And I want to have a culture of empowerment. Sometimes I am keeping people from living empowered because empowerment involves two things. Empowerment involves clarity. You come to somebody and you say, hey, here's the task. Here's how you do it. Let me equip you how to do it. Clarity. And trust. And to say, hey, I trust that you will deliver on those results. I trust that you will carry out faithfully this task. Now, sometimes here's how I've made a mistake. I've told people, hey, here's how I want you to do it. Here's what needs to be done. Here's the goal. Here are the objectives. Okay, let me train you how to do that. And then I release them, but I keep looking over their shoulders. And then they come to me and they say, wait, if you're going to keep looking over my shoulders, why don't you just do it yourself, right? That's not empowerment. And I've made the mistake on the other side as well, which is say to people, hey, I trust you to do this work. I am behind you. I'm going to support you. And then a month or two or three down the road, nothing has been accomplished. And then I bring them into account and they say, but what do you want me to do? You never made it clear. You've been there before? See, empowerment only works when there is clarity, but also trust from the person that is commissioning you, from the person that is working with you or providing you leadership. And when it comes to uh, the deploying the gifts that have been given to us by the Spirit, uh, it, is, it is clear why are we supposed to do with these gifts? Spend it on ourselves? No, for the sake of others. To build the body of Christ, to build the church. It's clear. But here's the encouragement. Not only do we have your back when you go out and deploy your gifts, but Jesus says, I have your back. Remember the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 28 before he ascended into heaven after giving the disciples the great commission? I will be with you always until the end of the ages. He, he did not only vow to be with us through his spirit, but Jesus entrusts us with his mission, which is the most important mission, which is to heal the world. The creator God of the universe, he has given you these gifts and he believes in you. Sometimes we don't see ourselves as God sees us. I was talking to an athlete um, the other day who is an exceptional athlete. Gifted, talented, has all the physical attributes, but sometimes can't, can't win in the competition ground. And I, I said to him, I think that your issue is not that you lack strength or power or technique. I see you putting in the hard work. I see how you perform. The issue is that you don't see yourself as God sees you. You have a very small view of yourself. And that's the problem with many believers as well. We have a very small view of uh, ourselves. We tend to see other people in the Christian community as mighty giants, and we see ourselves as dwarfs. And when Jesus sees you, he sees you as a mighty worker in his harvest because he was the one that put these gifts in you. He was the one that has vowed to be with you. He is the one that is cheering you on. 
That's what empowerment means. That's how we have been empowered. Don't forget that. Even though you may doubt yourself, he believes in you. And we believe in you too. Lastly, because of that, we live out of purpose and not out of convenience. Verse 7, again, we've said this many times, but making it abundantly clear in verse 7. What's our purpose? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, which are the gifts, for the common good. We are to live our lives as the confession of faith says it, uh, to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. But the way in which we do that is by living our lives for the common good. If you leave here today, I hope that you would be able to answer this question. If somebody asks you this question, why do you exist? Why are you in this earth? I'm here for the common good. And as you live your life for the common good, you are bringing glory to God. Now, you may have specifications of what living for the common good looks like in your life. But nevertheless, that is the overarching purpose for every single one of us. I love uh, the book by Rick Warren, A Purpose Driven Life. The first line in the book, you remember that first line? It is not about you. So if somebody asks you, I'm going to quiz some of you after the service. Just be, oh, I'm going to leave like right, right by the last verse of the song, I'm out. Um, by the way, a lot of people leave early so that people don't ask them to serve. Right? That, that's, we've done some research there. So those of you who come late and leave early, I know what it is. So I, I hope that you would adjust that uh, going forward. But, but nevertheless, you know, may, may you not forget this that the reason why God has put you in this world, it's not for your own sake. It's for the common good. And as you live for the common good, you bring glory to him. Now, I know it's not easy because we have to fight against the narrative of our culture and our society, especially the days in which we live in, that says that it's always everything about you, right? It's always about you. It's about your dreams, about your plans, about your goals. It's always about you. And even though the Bible acknowledges the value of the individual, as we saw here in verse 4, it has to be counterbalanced with the individual living for the sake of its community, of his or her community, for the sake of others as well. It's so hard because, you know, what the culture tells us about what success looks like and and what what value is all about is very different than what the Bible tends to teach us. It's hard. And therefore, many of us, as we have resolved in the past to put our gifts to use, deploy our gifts, we have stopped along the way because things got hard, because obstacles came our way, because we did not receive the acknowledgement, the recognition, and the praise that we wanted. But when you understand that the reason why we've been called is to live out of purpose, not out of convenience, We don't quit when things get hard. We don't quit when there are obstacles. We don't quit and we don't stop our mission when we don't receive the recognition that we desired. I hear this a a lot, especially in churches. Oh, I'm not serving anymore. Why are you not serving anymore? You were blessing all of us. Well, because nobody appreciated me. I never heard thank you. And, and, And I'm sorry if that's been the case here. Our job is obviously to acknowledge, and it's important that we acknowledge each other all the time. The Bible instructs us to encourage one another, right, all the time. Uh, But it shouldn't be your motivation 
for doing the work that Christ has called you to do. You know what? Christ is pleased with you as you do his work, and that should be enough for every single one of us. So we don't stop when we don't have the praise. We don't stop when we don't receive the recognition. We don't stop when things get hard. What if Jesus, think about this. Think about how Jesus served you. What if Jesus stopped when it got hard? What if Jesus says, oh, Father, I'm going to stay in the garden here. <laughs> I'm not going tomorrow to the cross. I'm going to stay here in the garden. What if Jesus stopped when oppositions came his way? What if Jesus stopped when he did not receive the praise or the recognition or the acknowledgement for what he has done? What if Jesus stops right now to serve you because you don't give him the praise that he deserves? What if? Would it be a mess in your life? How would we be? Where would we be? But because Jesus did not stop when things got hard, when there was no praise, when there was no acknowledgement, that should be the motivation for us to keep moving forward, even when these things come our way. We live out of purpose. We don't live out of convenience. That's what the gospel teaches us. It reminds me of uh, what I heard Simon Sinek share this week on his uh, social media. I don't know if you guys follow Simon Sinek. But uh, Simon Sinek, he was sharing um, about what the founder of Nike thinks of the purpose of the company, how he describes the purpose of the company, summarized in that slogan, just do it. He said that at, at, at one particular conference, he was a speaker, a keynote speaker, and he asked the audience, Anyone that likes to run occasionally, please stand up. And 80% of the room stood up. The baseball fans kept sitting down. <laughs> Everyone else stood up. Let's <laughs> go after y'all today, after your throat. So they stood up. And, and then he, he, he asked, now, if you run once a week consistently, once a week, keep standing up. Everyone else sit down. More than half of the room sat down. Then he said, if you run twice a week, keep standing up. Everyone else sit down. Then he had about 25% of the room. And then he said, if you run three times a week consistently, regardless of the weather, regardless of how you feel in the morning, keep standing up. And there were a handful of people standing up in a room with thousands of people. And he says, that's why Nike was created. When you go outside in the morning and it's cold and it's dark and you're aching and, and, and you're bruised but you're still putting in your run, we are underneath that light post cheering you on. It is never about winning. It is about trying. It is about the consistency. That's what just do it means. And when Christians understand that Jesus pressed forward regardless of the obstacles for our sake, we can get up in the morning when it's dark, when it's raining, when the weather is not favorable, when we're aching, and we just do it for his sake, not our sake. Let's pray.